welcome to Esrodai Illusions episode. We haven't been naming the numbering the episodes in a while, and we won't do it now because this will probably. I would say it's probably episode thirty-three, but last episode I said it was seventeen and it was thirty. So uh, who the hell knows? Anyway, we are back with another Stannis episode. Everybody loved the uh, Stannis in the North, and now we're back. Stannis is not in the North. We're going to actually take a step back in time, and we're going to go to a place where he um, wasn't really too happy that he ended up there. But we're happy that we're going to be at Dragonstone, and we have a returning guest from episode three of our Game of Thrones recap. We have uh, Rowan here to uh, dissect all of the, uh, especially if you listen to that episode, we know that uh, she's a huge fan of Mel. Who's great because Mel uh, appears heavily in these uh, chapters. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself for uh, people? Yes, I'm Rowan. Um, I am, I guess I would say, a Melisandra. And it's funny because when I first watched the that you know that that TV show, something you might have heard of, but before reading the books, I thought the Dragonstone scenes were so boring. And I loved, but I loved her, and I felt like oh god why is she trapped in this boring plot and then when you read the books it's it's like one of the things i always tell people about why you gotta read the books the dragonstone plot is about i think it kind of boils down to being about human nature itself and so many and so many shades of gray and in terms of myself i would not say i'm a stanner man stanner woman um i don't stand stannis but i do really appreciate him as a character i think his plot brings up so many ethical complexities and questions and yeah. um and that so i really appreciate and some of the most interesting ones in the series that are the most crucial to the series and that really make you think the most deeply so i i'm a drag i'm a team dragonstone stan as a result i really love these chapters so much um yeah that's me <laughs> the dragonstone chapters are some of my favorite and i've made this comparison a couple times but it really, uh, for definitely in the show, and I guess maybe, well, probably also for A Clash of Kings, just the way the prologue plays out, but it feels like Stannis is introduced in the second season of A Game of Thrones as sort of like the big bad, to borrow uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer terminology. Mm-hmm. He's not clearly set up as a protagonist, and especially with the way that the show hypes up Renly, and even the way the books, um, Catelyn is... is Trying to appear neutral, but she she's like, like Renly, I mean, you're a clown. <laughs> yeah, most people kind of get along better with Renly anyway. I mean, they get uh, along Stannis. better, but they also are like, you're an idiot. like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So you've got in a Clash of Kings with this prologue, it's it's taking sort of everything that you uh, left uh, a Game of Thrones with. And turning it on its head because you've got this uh, creaky old maester who starts off with uh, going to there's no there's no it's a clash of kings. But we start off with uh, this poor sick girl and her fool who speaks mm-hmm. nonsense. You've got Shireen, you got Patchface. Or is it nonsense? Well, that's uh, that's a that's you know, that's that's probably a, the subject a whole other of episode. A, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Patchface. Uh, he's um. He's still kicking it in uh, up at the wall, so uh, God bless him. But he's uh, going to outlive everyone. It's going to be cockroaches and patch face. No, but it, yeah, he he is the one person Melisandre is genuinely scared of. So something's going on there. Well, he's also the one um, the one survivor of the uh, 
really depressing, uh, almost there. They almost got home. And then uh, Robert Renly and Stannis' parents uh, died, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right, right in view of Storm's End, which uh, mm-hmm. probably, probably uh, influences, you know, poor Stefan uh, Baratheon and uh, Hassana Estermont, who don't really, well, they're dead, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. their death hit Stannis probably harder than anybody because he's not like Robert. He's not big and strong, and he's not a pretty boy like Renly. He's just crabby and in a bad mood, and he's listening to The Cure, and he <laughs> doesn't want to come out. Actually, Dragonstone is a great place for him, but he doesn't like Dragonstone because uh, Robert gave the big castle to his little gay brother who doesn't deserve it. And doesn't um, deserve anything. But anyways, I'm a, yeah, I'm an, I'm a Renly auntie, so... I actually really like Renly, but... I know you uh, do. I know you do. I'll forgive you. He's a sweet... uh, I I wrote an article called Renly Baratheon Queer Icon on my website, if you want to take a look at that. It's... uh, I I, I like the fact that, um, you know, if if you understand uh, the way that the world politics works, a lot of it, there's a fair degree of nepotism people give to the people they know. And gay people are kind of on the outside, often, of these... uh, sort of institutional um, structures that help people. And there's a lot of gatekeeping. Renly says, Hey, fuck it. I'm just going to be King now. Uh, is that, is that smart? No. Ah, I mean, it kind of is smart in a lot of ways because um, w- w- where else is he going to get his chance? Although actually he probably would have had a good chance because Stannis didn't have any sons and his only daughter yeah. was uh, pretty sick, but it, at, at Dragonstone, he could have yeah, engineered something behind the scenes to make it happen more. But He's a clown, so <laughs> he is. Um, and and at Dragonstone, they actually do in the prologue mention the fact that um, there's a potential alliance between suggested between. Uh, boy, this would have been America. Could you imagine the wedding between uh, Little Sweet Robin and Shireen? Might be oh. the most. <laughs> most <laughs> oh god! I mean, gosh, I had not much offspring there. I mean. I... <laughs> No, and uh, but I I guess what I really like about the 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 way that Dragonstone is introduced, it's this cold, unforgiving place with all these stairs, and you've got this old maester who mm-hmm. is a sympathetic voice to uh, Stannis, but there's a problem, is that uh, you know not really all that talked about in the first book, but now we've got this um, this this guy called Roller who is apparently, you know, the old gods be damned because Roller's here to uh, anoint his chosen one. Yeah, and I think what you were saying to that point of getting that sympathetic view of Stannis through Crescent is really interesting, is is very true, because there's the line where he says, there's two lines, he says, one is no one had ever taught Stannis how to laugh, and the other one is, he says that Stannis has a mouth that had forgotten how to smile and had never known how to laugh. So, I mean, I'm also like, I mean, coming from having a background in, as a therapist, I'm like, I'm sensing some, you know, persistent depressive disorder there, like never known how to laugh. Wow. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's, he's clearly kind of always been in this veil of sadness and Dragonstone. Yeah. There's a scene in, um, like in a storm of swords, when they're talking about this idea of awakening the dragon, Davos is walking around and seeing all the stone dragons are. He's like, it would be pretty terrifying if all of these actually awoke. Um, 
And so it is kind of a scary place, but it's also, um, I think, I feel like on, on the show that, shall, that we shall not reference too much, um, it seemed a lot more, I like, for example, like obviously the first time they show it, they're burning the seven on the beach, but I like then not until really Daenerys came in the later crack seasons, did I kind of get more of a view of what Dragonstone actually looked like and how big it was and how grand it was. I feel like they kept in the team Dragonstone scenes, they kept it kind of confined to rooms. Um, so that's interesting, but yeah, it is kind of this forbidding place. And you're right about there being this big narrative gap between a game of Thrones and um, clash of Kings where so much has happened with the arrival of Melisandre and her bringing R'hllor and Rolorism into the fold, because I always find it really funny in a Game of Thrones, you'll have the occasional line of someone being like, I wonder what they're doing up in Dragonstone. I'm like, <laughs> and they're like up to the witchy spooky shit. Um, like if only you knew, but, um, I, I picture, you know, that fate, that like gif of that gif of Elmo with the, you know, with the fire, like that's what <laughs> Dragonstone. But, um, but so in terms of like the timeline, so in the Clash of Kings, Davos won, he mentions that they'd been at Joffrey's name day tourney a year ago, like a year prior to Clash of Kings. So, and Melisandre was not a part of their life at that point, I don't believe. So she came into their lives pretty recently, but also according to Wiki of Ice of Fire, it says that she, um, it says that she had arrived on Dragonstone some years ago, but we don't actually have any, because even in her own point of view chapter, we, she talks about, you know, that she had danced, uh, she had danced this dance with, with Stannis before, but about kind of persuading him and like willing, winning him over. But it's not, there's really no clear time. So we have, so I guess it's only been like a year, which is not much time for all of this to have happened and really she came in through Solis. um yeah she really got through to her you know in the clash of kings prologue it says the red woman had won her heart and soul turning her from the gods of the seven kingdoms both old and new to worship the one they called the lord of light and i mean Solis is um in my reading totally in love with melisandre and I think that's really where the fervor is coming from. I mean, in Dance Dragons, I believe it is, there's the quote where it says, a word from Melisandre, and she would walk into the fire willingly, embrace it like a lover. So um, so it's really Solis, and let's always, they say, the queen's men, who are the really the yeah. Rolorians. And that's when we can go more into is that, like, so the queen's men are, and the queen and her men are the really staunch Rolorians. So what is what does this mean to Stannis? Why does he accept this um, into his life? Why has it become not just accepted into his life, but why has it become such a central feature of his political platform too? Because it's his new sigil with um, sigil. I never know how to say that with the fire, yeah with the um, with the flaming heart, and then also when he sends out the what I call the those are incest babies letter. It's signed done in the Lord of Light. So that's a political that letter is a move of political strategy so signing putting the lord of light in there shows that relor is a part of his political package um it's so, um yeah well the letter's kind of a weird move for him because one thing that i've always liked about stannis is that he's uh he's a realist he knows that he's not liked he knows his flaws and mm-hmm. i think that's probably why he confines at davos a lot because he knows that davos is always going to be straight with him mm-hmm. and actually that's probably that's that's also why he uh, I think he developed such a close relationship with John because John was the one who could say, look, attacking the Dreadfort's a horrible idea. But when it comes to the letter, 
Um, and I the you know the the we don't we don't see a lot of the well, actually we see nothing of of the John Aaron uh, Stannis uh, True Detective caper where they find out where the um that all of Robert's bastards all kind of look one way and all of the uh, quote unquote Brathians that he uh, legally sired are uh, all blonde haired and we don't we don't see any of that and Stannis is uh, trying to make a point but he's sending out these bizarre letters and it almost feels like it was maybe a uh ploy it's always the 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 Solis the Solis factor in all of this is always something that's really fascinated me because you're right Mel comes in through Solis and what we know of Solis is that she and Stannis uh they're not uh they're not very warm with each other yeah and and Stannis doesn't respect Solis either so it's interesting that because Solis buys into this, then he would accept it. But we'll, you know, we can talk more about why I have my ideas of why he accepts it. But still, it's just like, it's interesting that it's, if it was, if it was coming to him, to him through Davos, that might make more sense because he's always, as you said, like respected Davos's opinion and as the kind of, a, as a reality check. But Solis is not someone, even in the prologue of Clash of Kings, he refers to her as woman very dismissively. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's I mean the 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 point about the Queen's men has always fascinated me because you imagine Rob Stark having uh you know, not that Jane Westerling is around all that often, but if she had or for very long, but if she had Queen's men or if uh Marjorie Tyrell I mean the whole of a feast for crows is Cersei worrying about Marjorie basically doing the same like something uh, sort of on that scale, if if Marjorie had gone around saying, "Here are my queen's men," Cersei sits and kind of goes uh, goes mad thinking about basically that happening. And mm-hmm. Stannis doesn't really seem to care. And for a lot of it, I mean, from what we know of Stannis, he is not a devout man. He knows that Mel. And actually, I mean, a, a great point in this in the prologue is just the fact that her her superpowers are established. The idea that Crescent has this, uh, he roofies the drink, he offers it to her, and it kills, it doesn't kill her, the fire cleanses it, and he Mm -hmm. dies. And, I mean, that's kind of a, because we know at this point that magic is real, we know that uh, the dragons were birthed with Daenerys at at the end of a Game of Thrones, but, you know, the audience hasn't seen the shadow, or the readers haven't seen the shadow baby, we haven't seen... You know, uh, we haven't been introduced to weirdos like Quaith yet. And mm-hmm. uh, not as much warging yet. No. And I mean, it's it's all kind of hinted at. But you see this person and, you know, for all the 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 faith of the seven, the old gods, these are people who uh, they're more religious in the sense of uh, traditional religion. And this is no, this guy actually he could be the real deal. And, and the way that, you know, just just a from a semantic book argument, uh, this is the prologue. This is supposed to set up the book. Here's this woman with superpowers. You are supposed to care about her, even though obviously Davos only has three chapters in A Clash of Kings. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah, but they're memorable for sure. Oh yeah, um, they're very good. And yeah, I mean, it goes to show that as Melisandre says to Creston, there are truths in this world that are not taught in Old Town. Um, so that kind of goes to show. And, and again, when we're just she has red eyes. Clearly something's up. You know, like people don't have the whole, everything about how she's described physically is almost about how almost artificial she looks. Um, that's why I kind of in my, I mean, I 
Carice Van Houten I love and it's great as Melisandre. In my head, I've, I've always thought like a great fan cast for her would be 90s era Isabella Gianni. She's a French actress because um, she's the most beautiful woman who ever lived, I think. And But 90s era is when she started like tinkering with her face a little, plastic surgery-wise. So you, when you watch a movie like Queen Margot, she's just so beautiful, but there's something that just looks like like something looks like, uh, like uncanny almost. Um, I think you're supposed to get that impression with Melisandre where there's, is um, like, she's, I mean, she's, as I said, she's like super power type thing. And that, so I, I mean, this is, I don't want to digress to this, but I do really wonder how the age reveal is going to happen in the books or even if it's going to even happen in the books, I think it might not even happen. We just might be left to imply from all the things that like, you know, countless years of practice type stuff. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I think you made a good point in terms of like, maybe like, cause I was wondering why does he let Lise have these Queens men if he doesn't really respect her, but maybe it's because he doesn't, maybe he's like, well, she can just do what she wants. I don't care. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, another point that is, uh, if you've read all the books and you, you know, you're speculating ad, ad nauseum as a lot of us do about what's going to happen in the winds of winter, which is obviously built off. Uh, the players in A Dance with Dragons, if you go through the John or the Mel or the Asha chapters or the Theon chapter in uh, The Winds of Winter, and you go through that trying to figure out what's going to happen up in the north, there are all these players who are not around on Dragonstone in A Clash of Kings. These are people mm-hmm. who, you know, uh, Lord Celtigar, Lord Valerian, um, these are people who uh, either die at the uh, at the Battle of the Blackwater, they surrender, or even if some of them uh, some of them just kind of disappear. And you're left kind of wondering, you know, where is the power nexus of House Baratheon? Because obviously, mm-hmm. uh, House Baratheon of Dragonstone, because Dragonstone doesn't have. Uh, it's meant to be kind of weak. It, it's really only meant as an extension uh the idea that robert ever even gave it to stannis to form some sort of uh cadet branch while of house baratheon while renly's line continued at storm's end is kind of weird because the targaryens don't have another great house of their own but stannis uh you know the 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 people surrounding him at the uh at the first sort of round table in the uh in the prologue are a bunch of nobodies who uh, nobody cares about. Uh, Durham, Bar Emmon, Munford, Valerian. These are people you'd, you'd have to like look up their Mumford names. Munford and Sons. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even... Uh, he... I think he dies a... Uh, yeah, he dies at the Blackwater very unspectacularly, which isn't even really um, shown all that much because Davos, uh, our point of view character, gets knocked off... Uh, blown up four of his five sons die r.i.p at least he gets one i don't think in the show he gets any children who survive nope only this fake mathos figure yeah, mathos. well yeah. mathos can go to hell but uh, and then so then he just adopts everyone else as his surrogate son so well yeah Awkward. he had in uh episode two um that really great scene uh this past the final season of the dragon show where um davos makes soup for the little yeah. new, new, new screen <laughs> That's his yeah. new child. Isn't it first? But, it's, yeah, first it's it, he has Shireen, then he has Gendry, then he has John. Now he has mini Shireen number two. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I really love Dragonstone plot because I mean, I love I love the Stannis and the North stuff too. But um, I think with all of Stannis's plot, and as I said earlier, I I find his storyline and the issues it brings up more interesting for me than him as a 
him personally as, as a character, but like, I think kind of the discussion that Melisandre and Davos have is so, is kind of emblematic of why, because I just find it really ironic that she sees the, basically this storyline is all about shades of gray and about ambiguities and moral lines being blurred. And it's interesting because she sees the world in such a binary black and white way, but her presence and her and Stannis' plot line, particularly the way in which she influences it, is what makes it all about Shades of Grey. So there's the famous exchange where they're rowing into Shadow Baby Cave, where she says, a gray man, she said. Neither, he says, he, you know, they're talking about what type of man are you, Sir Davos? A gray man, she said, neither black nor white, but for taking a boat. Is that what you are, Sir Davos? He says, what if I am? It seems to me that most men are gray. She says, if half an onion is black with rot, is a rotten onion. A man is good or he is evil. Then there's also, you know, about a thousand other quotes where she's talking about good versus evil, man versus woman, dark versus light. But this whole plot, what makes it so fascinating to me is that it's not, it's about the fact that you can't split into good or bad. Even Melisandre herself is in the middle. Um, yeah. And so, but it would, but Stannis himself sees a lot more nuance. Like, for example, with his famous quote, a good act does not wash out the bad nor a bad act the good. He can hold more space for, um, for ambiguity and nuance than she can. But at the same time is totally okay with this, uh, binary view being part of his political platform. And to the extent where, I mean, as we said, she's in there because she got in through Solis, but I mean, after the Battle of Blackwater, especially, they're just like this duo. Like, I mean, the people speculate they're having sex, but I, I just kind of picture them like staring at each other in silence in front of the fireplace like, awkwardly and like taking, you know, there's that line about how they take these long walks to like, <laughs> to like the dungeon, like they take these long walks to dungeons <laughs> together. And, um, and some, and in Sam, and Sam's a storm of swords, he said it's a storm of swords. No one knows the king's mind. Well, he, someone says it to him. No one knows the king's mind, but the red woman. So even though they're like, kind of, he's much more about new, I mean, he is much more about nuance, but he, he does very black and white ways. He is very, I mean, we were talking before we started recording about how he's not rigid, but he also, he's all about law and law and order, you know, like law, not cruelty, as he says in A Storm of Swords. So they both do are very principled. They're very about all about principles, just in very different ways, but somehow it works. I kind of just picture them like these awkward, like those awkward goth kids who hang out in like, and sit in like a corner in the lunch, in the cafeteria or under a bridge. Yeah. yeah, And like, kind of like, yeah, the ones who are kind of like smoking weed under the, like the bleachers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I see that, and it's, I, I often wonder if, you Stan know, because... though. Anyways, go on. No, no, he'd be the, yeah, he would... He'd be the, he'd be the rat, he'd be like, smoke, he'd be telling on everyone who smokes weed. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, you invited me to hang out with you, but then you smoked weed, so I will hang out with you again, but I will shorten your fingers for having yes. smoked weed. <laughs> yes, I'll shorten your lung. Well, I mean, the one kind of I, I often wonder is like the the Stannis uh, ever. I mean, the the shortening of the fingers is fucked up. It, it's the rudest thing to do to somebody who literally saved he he saved Robert's rebellion. Yeah, Dav, uh, Davos saved Robert's. Re- Nobody really talks about that. Uh, mm-hmm. They talk about how he saved Stannis and Stannis uh, whines perpetually. Well, he whines 
for valid reason that he's uh, not given a ton of credit for something that is has got to be uh, horrifying. We're going to do an episode on uh, the Siege of Storm's End at, at some point specifically, but uh, it's fucked up. And um, the act of shortening Davos, giving, you could say, okay, giving him a knighthood and a keep and then shortening his fingers is itself gray. But the way I kind of see it is that's kind of black alongside white and it's not mixed together in the way mm-hmm. that it should be because the true gray act would be Stannis acknowledging that um, Davos being a smuggler really, wow, what did it matter to him? Yeah, especially at that point, he wasn't master of ships. Then he was a uh, uh, seventeen. He, it's kind of honestly like like teenage Stannis has got to be like the kid who read uh, Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead, and it's like, oh my god. Yes, I knew you were gonna say. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, oh my god, this is you know, if you read Atlas Shrugged, it's the driest. It's awful, but it's this person who just only uh it's like trying to to suck personality or or emotion out of any decision and just strictly look at it through which which becomes a which becomes a form of emotion and i i think that stannis um is probably the worst thing he's done uh obviously the uh that that scene in season five where uh shereen offers to help and then that horrible thing happens um that hasn't happened in the books yet has not canon until it's until george writes it even though everyone says it will be. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we, we like to dance around that, that topic on, uh, on this program. Cause yeah, it will probably happen, but I mean, that's kind of, that's split. I like to live in denial. Uh, yes. And, and until the winds of winter, actually, I mean, it, it may not even happen in the winds of winter, depending on what mm-hmm. happens with, with the, a lot of people speculate that, but we, we don't have to, we have to get into the the the, mm-hmm. the burning because there's a lot of other burning. And actually, yeah. I mean, the one kind of other thing that that uh, Mel and Davos have in common, uh, Stannis's whole kind of his his conglomerate is is sort of a collection of misfits. But his two closest people are total outsiders, and Davos especially is uh, our first point of view character who. Wasn't I mean John is John is an outsider in a lot of ways as a bastard, but he grew up alongside them. His mm-hmm. uh, the, the main sense of othering him as a bastard is really through Catelyn's eyes more so than maybe anybody and else. Even for a bastard, he's way less of an outsider than most bastards because he actually grew up inside right. the home. You know, yeah. Like in in the show that shall not be named, the one thing I did like is in season six finale. I mean, I like actually I love the whole episode, but Mel Saunders says that John's like. Where Winterfell's like, oh, I used to sit in the back here. And Melisandre goes, at least you had a home. At least you had a family. She didn't have any of that. <laughs> you know? So shut up, John. Anyways. Yeah, so then um, you got Davos, and he's there as they're, uh, you know, burning shit down that nobody... Uh, I mean, who, who, I, I'm not really sure why anybody should care that... Um, well, I don't know. I mean, the the... Dragonstone is kind of this historic uh, uh, site of a lot of uh, fun stuff, but at the same time, um, just just the the fact that they would be, um, you know, the christening of uh, you got Azora High and Stannis is supposed to. It's like this big uh, act that you almost kind of wonder who who it's uh, meant to be serving at that point because. Um, 
at at throughout the prologue and uh, uh, the first Davos chapter, you've got his host being very split on should we attack King's Landing, which is an idiotic idea, or should we go try to figure out what's up with Renly and then you know kill him via Shadow Baby, but they're not really there yet. So it's an interesting point because it's kind of like okay, we're going to do things differently now, but I. I, I, I I often wonder what what the readers supposed to really make of Davos one in a clash of kings. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it's kind of the way to, it's how you get almost reoriented because with the prologue, as yet, just like whoa, superhuman stuffs happening. New, just a lot, all of these new characters, new setting, all of this ending on this very spooky note, and then here we get some more backstory, we get more character establishment. All of that. But yeah, I really liked what you said before about like there's this band of misfits. This is why I love Team Dragonstone. There's this band of misfits. Um, because you have Davos who is coming. He, I said the first point of view character who is a true, like, I don't like to use this word, but it's, you know, as they would say in Westeros, a true commoner. Um, and who, I mean, for all that Stannis is so rigid, he's not particularly rigid about having someone who's a commoner take up land be a, and be a lord and then eventually hand of the king, which irks a lot of the other noblemen. But Stannis doesn't particularly care. And that's interesting that somebody who's so hardcore about law and whose entire mission and plot is focused on taking what's his by his rights, in this case is like, okay, well, you're a cool guy, so you do your thing and I like you. And then also then there's Melisandre, who, I mean, they don't know this, but was born a slave. And talk about outsider, she doesn't even look human. She has red eyes. Um, so you have these two people. Like he, It's funny because they're both outsiders. And on the surface, it's in opposite ways. He's Davos being the everyman figure, right? And yeah. Melisandre being the otherworldly figure. But when we do get to learn more about her, we actually learn that she's really all too human. And that... I mean, this would be a whole other episode, but that all of this otherworldliness is really a mask for a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and the way that she copes with it. At least that's how I read it. Um, but so I think that they're a lot more alike than Davos would care to admit because, um, I mean, they're both these outsiders and commoners who have ridden, who have ridden, risen. I mean, there's no riding going on here. Um, who has risen. Whoa, and yeah. 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 And then, and so like he says, his view, the way he views her is God is death in the shape of Melisandre of Ashai. Gods be good. What has she done to him? You know, just evil, evil, evil. But I mean, this is a, does he not have some of his own strange rituals? I mean, he's carrying his thing. He carries his fingers that, that Stannis severed around his neck for luck and like, likes to touch. And even long after the bag is gone is still touching them. I mean, that's weird, dude. That's weird. Um, you know, like you can, yeah. I mean, it's not burning people level of weird, but like, it's weird. Um, and so I, like he's, I don't remember if he says Stannis is my God in the books, but he does say it on the show. Like, oh, Stannis, yeah. Stannis is his God. Yeah. And Stannis so, and yeah. And so, um, and she's serving. So in their, each of their ways, they're rep, they're serving their gods. Um, and very devoutly. I mean, the, like, it almost reminds me of, like, the, um, I don't know the official names, I'm a heathen, but with, like, like Catholics and, uh, like, when they get things from, like, the saints, like, body parts and stuff, and, like, that's considered sacred. 
I'm not religious enough to know what that, to remember the official name for that. Um, but like kind of having this like weird sacred, it is almost like this religious thing for him. And, um, and yeah, they're both like very obsessed with like, so Melisandre's obsession with Stannis, it's more as like, he's a vessel. And in the same way that one we'll talk about is that he sees her kind of as a vessel and Valorism as a vessel as something that can help him. But he just like she, I don't think is all that. And this is why I kind of, I think it's really kind of funny when people read their relationship as romantic. I don't think she's really interested that much in him as a human, as a person or vice versa. I think she sees him as she happened to be glancing at her spooky flames back East Saw this vision of Stannis, like, I'm going off to Dragonstone. Because it's, it's George R. R. Martin established that she went rogue, that she's the only person who thinks this, which, I mean, like, who else would think? I don't know. I'll never understand why. I'm sorry to Stannis stands. I'll never understand why that's what she saw in the flames. Like, okay, all right. Anyways, but, um, so she then comes to Dragonstone and, and like, gets in through Solice and, she views him as a way to, as Azor's eye, like that's how they're going to kind of defeat the, the great other and to therefore serve R'hllor. So he's kind of a means to an end in a way, but not in like a manipulative way. Um, just because she actually genuinely cares about saving the world. Um, and in that kind of, and, and, but Davos actually sees him as like, that is the God that he's serving. It's interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm curious for your thoughts on why this is what has always been a stump, stump, like big stumbling block for me. Why is Davos so obsessed with him? I mean, like he represents things that Davos never had, such as order and justice and wealth. But like, there are other rich guys. So why do you think that Stannis is Davos's god? Well, so I think that. Um... Melisandre and Davos uh, contrast well with the sense that uh, Mel does see means means to ends. That's that's her whole her whole spiel. Mm-hmm. The whole Edric Edric Storm debate is uh, the means to an end. And Davos doesn't care about the end. He cares about he's he's literally about the means. Mm-hmm. He's the people. It's not about the future. It's about the present. And I think that's always why he stayed with Stannis because um, it's not really. You know, he probably could have been a. Uh, he could have gone off with Salador Sand. He could have made. Uh, I love Salador Sand, by the way. I'm yeah, the show. Great character. The show didn't. Uh, after his little bathtub scene in uh, the the episode of Bravos on uh, season four, we don't we don't see him again, which is sad. Uh, and he leaves in a Dance with Dragons. Uh, maybe even wins a winner. Uh, he abandons him, but in a Dance with Dragons, yeah. Yeah, because he finally he's sick of the uh, not paying him. But Davos, yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, they're they're probably as you said with the fingers. There's something a little. Uh, there's something fucked up about. Regardless of, I mean, um, there's something gay about it. But <laughs> yeah, he uh, and we we don't see much of Davos and his wife. Uh, well, there's more that- of a scene in the in Davos's first chapter or first or second. I remember. I think first in Storm of Swords where he actually he's like where he realizes that he forgot about his wife. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, with Stannis and Selyse, it's interesting. Um, they talk about uh, the curse that um, Robert, and I forget who he, uh, mm-hmm. so he soiled the, the, the marital. Yeah. yeah, one of the Florence, he soiled their marital bed. And uh, they talk about this curse on a marital bed. 
They have sex at, like twice a year. Do they understand how babies are made? There's no curse. They don't bone. Do they have sex twice a year? I would. I yeah, think, they, they say that he would come. They say that he would come back from. Uh, he spends most of his time at King's Landing, even though right. I mean King's Landing isn't far from Dragonstone. It's mm-hmm. a it's a puddle jump away. Um, and and the the um so it, Dragonstone isn't far away, and yet. Uh, the book says that Stannis comes back once or twice a year to perform his marital duty. Mm, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and which is more about procreation. And also, I read him and I mean, him and Melisandre, they did have canonically had sex, but again, it's for an again means to an end. It's about Shadow Baby, you know? Um, but yeah, my, I guess what I'm wondering more isn't so much why Davos stays with Stannis, but why he's so in love with slash obsessed with him. Like, what is it about Stannis? that makes him his god like makes him feel like he's his god as opposed to just oh i just this guy you know i'm just loyal to him no he's his god yeah it's it's weird and uh i mean when well, you're, the ask, you know, you're the stannis stan so you're the one who oh, loves I've him been, I, i've been moving away from stannis for okay. a while but we we do these um and of course everybody who's a big stannis fan listening yeah I, I i find him fascinating i don't I, I don't see, you know, the the, the world in black and white as uh, a lot of there are people who will make sort of uh, apologies for a lot of the, the Stannis behavior. Uh, I don't. Uh, and I like Renly, too. But um, the best thing that Stannis has always had going for him is Davos. He has this great mm-hmm. advocate. And. It's 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 weird that um, they do. I, they do really have this sort of. uh uh, homosexual relationship between the two of them, and as we know, kind of with with all of the the all these noble lines, the the number one commodity, the first and foremost, is sons to carry uh-huh. the line. And Stannis like knows this kind of, but he he, he just doesn't seem to care, and it's uh-huh. weird. It's almost like it's uh, like a product of of convenience, the fact that he wouldn't care because it doesn't make any sense. Renly at least is young. Uh-huh. And he he's got a sham of a marriage to to Marjorie, but um, and and you can kind of imagine that had that been allowed to progress, it it uh you know he would have produced sons even if he you know would rather look at his his pornos and uh, chill yeah. with Loras. But um, lie flat it, on your back and think of Loras. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's. Oh. that's <laughs> um, well, it's it's. The the scene that I know you're uh, not a fan of in the show oh, with <laughs> Mel and Stannis is is oh, also God. just kind of totally. If they had to do it with anybody, it would probably be Davos. But um, the, I mean, the, they the idea- did. I mean, we know from A Dance of Dragons the line about her bed was, you know, not used. We know they have had sex. We know, but it's again, I don't view it as a romance to her. I think for her, it's about a religious act. It's about that's Azora's eye. I want to fuck Azora's eye. I want it like it's about this joining with Azor. Not I as an eye, but like if you're a Valorian, like you want it's like unison with great with with God. You know, it's it's. I actually always like you know the song "Closer" by Nine Inch Nails. You, you know, you, I want to fuck you like an animal. You bring me closer to God. Uh, not that she. I don't think she wants to fuck him like an. I don't think she wants to fuck him at all. But she wants to get closer to God. So that's the way she gets closer to God. Um, but I don't think it's actually romantic or there's no desire in it although yeah there is a line where they talk i think it's storm of sword yeah it's storm of swords where um they talk or 
no, it's Clash of Kings, where they say how she, um, you know, his, like, he, oh, it's one of them. I think it's Sword Swords, where, like, he's, like, kind of pushing Solis away, but then, like, he doesn't push Melisandre away because she's everything Solis was not. She's beautiful and, huh, young and heart shaped, you know? So he notices that she's attractive, but I don't know. But yeah, so I, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and Melisandre doesn't try to uh, interfere in their marriage or put no. them together, which um, I guess is odd. But but I mean that's kind of a, a broader uh, point about Melisandre in general is is the sense that um, it's not really ever her way or the highway. Which uh, you know she doesn't. It's it's always uh it's weird when Davos arrives in uh, Davos two in the Storm of Swords. Uh, she has him arrested, but doesn't push for his death, even though it's clear that he uh, wanted to kill her mm-hmm. for bizarre reasons. Because it's there are a lot of people to blame for the Battle of the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melisandre is distinctly absolved in the beginning by uh, not taking her along for the ride, which yeah. uh, is is a interesting choice but really that falls on uh florent for not sending the galley ships and uh you know probably more so on Tyrion lannister for putting a huge chain in the black water and uh throwing a bunch of uh nickelodeon slime all over the place yeah but davos also hasn't like eaten or drank or anything and like ever so he's just like wild and he's probably he's just like doesn't know what to think and like he's always mistrusted her so it's like well i'm gonna fix my blame everything has gone wrong because she's turned him wrong you know but it's yeah but without realizing that they have more they kind of are united really in their goal of making stan as king just in very different ways um you know davos wants to appeal to the people you know he's about the life of one bastard boy against a kingdom and they're not um but yeah, it's just, I think what's also interesting in terms of parallels between them is that he, Stannis, he looks to both of them for the truth, but in such different ways, but he needs both of them. Like, so in a clash of Kings in the same, in Davos two clash of Kings, um, in the same chapter, he says to Melisandre, he's talking to both of them. He says, I told you, Melisandre, my onion knight tells me the truth. And then he says about Melisandre, one shadow or many, Melisandre sees them all. So he's using both of them as advisors and for, but like different forms of, like, for, it's weird because, you know, we call Davos' reality check. He uses Melisandre as a reality check, but it's like a, well, maybe this is going to be reality. Maybe not, but it can help me. So we'll see. Check. Um, and also in John, the John chapter in A Storm of Swords, where he says, Lord Seaworth is a man of humble birth, but he reminded me of my duty. I, w- I, all I could think of was my rights. I had the cart before the horse, Davos said. I was trying to win the throne to save the kingdom when I should have been trying to save the kingdom to win the throne. So, and Mel, and as you said, Melisandre isn't all or nothing. She cares about her ultimate goal is saving the kingdom rather than just taking the throne. Um, I think for her, Stannis being king is a way to save the kingdom. Um, so they do kind of have these similar end goals, and he is using them as sources of truth. But his truth is that every man humble truth, and her truth is Relor's truth, which is, I was going to say shadowy, but 
that would be too much. Um, cause Valor <laughs> also is supposed to be actually the antithesis shadow. Valor is the God of light, you know, is light and shadows of the servants of light. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because he, they each act, they actually serve kind of the same function for him, but, and she's way more accommodating of him than he is of her. I, but I, I understand it. You know, your bro, some, your, your bro starts like getting all up with this new girl. And you're like, wait, where I thought that's my bro. Like I, we've all been there. Um, like we're, you know, we're je- I, there's some jealousy. There's some jealousy. Um, I think. And so, but it's interesting how they both are actually like, as we said, like serving the same cause in similar way, like these both in these kind of similarly fanatical ways, but he can't accept that. And I don't really blame, but I don't blame him because she's burning people alive. Like, that's not cool. That's not cool. No. And well, I mean, the the two of them kind of are set apart from uh, some of the other people who would fit into the role of uh, advisor. Maester Pylos doesn't really, we don't see him offering too much advice. Uh, he does kind of help with the uh, Edric Storm escape, but Crescent and people like Alistair Florent, who uh, is a, uh, uh, falls victim to Melisandre's uh, penchant for burning, uh, they give Stannis options that uh, suck, that he doesn't want anything to do with. And, you know, Davos isn't trying to say to... Yeah, everybody knows that Stannis has this really raw deal, that he doesn't have a ton of troops. Um, he shot his wad at uh, the Battle of the Blackwater, and from there, it's going to be rough going and Davos is really the only one to try and say okay it's not defeatist well Mel's not saying that mm-hmm. either but um the uh she's urging him to kill a boy that Stannis is uh very clearly conflicted about he um <laughs> they make a big deal in the Storm of Swords chapters over Stannis repeatedly uh keeps just saying the boy he doesn't want to call mm-hmm. him Edric he doesn't I I think he he is I mean obviously he's conflicted because he doesn't punish davos for he's probably relieved that davos sent him free he probably made yeah. in hand in a way yeah. to uh you know uh in, as a way to carry that out and especially you know he trusts he trusts melisandre who came to him through Solis. he doesn't trust any florent who also came to him from Solis, and they're actually his his strongest supporters so that's always mm-hmm. kind of a a strange dynamic. Well, there's and, a bunch. A bunch of the Florence went with Camp Friendly, so that kind of right. I would understand why he wouldn't inherently trust Florence. But you're you're right. Like it's, but it's interesting. Yeah. So he doesn't trust the Florence who came through Solis, but he trusts Melisandre who came through Solis to the Solis to the point where eventually they say that only no one knows the king's mind but the Red Woman, and so it's like, well, how does she? get in you know what is why and I, for me i think it's because like i think for, like he says i know little and care less of gods but the red priestess is power and i think he you were said you said he he has a raw deal this might be the red hawk might be his only way out you know like he's like i he says other people have shifts other people have gold i have her you know um like, so he says, like, he, so she's basically this kind of asset and resource in the way that other men have, he says, have more men and more gold than I do. I have ships and I have her, the red woman. 
If she can do nothing else, a sorceress who can inspire such dread in, in grown men is not to be despised. A frightened man is a beaten man. And so, yeah, that's it. He basically is like, I'm going to beat people by scaring them through, through, through valorism and Melisandre. And, um, and maybe she, perhaps she can do more. I mean to find out. The seven have never brought me so much as a sparrow. It's time I tried another. Oh, this definitely didn't get written down right in my notes, but I tried another hawk, Davos, a red hawk. Yeah. So I think it's, it's yeah. Think, yeah. So I think that he just, it's kind of like, you, he's like, well, I've always been dealt shit. Nothing's worked for me past. Why not try something completely off the wall? And he's you know? willing to play ball with her uh, more, um, you know, it's hard to, the same Stannis who shortened Davos's fingers is also the same one who, treason or not, uh, history has shown us that uh, none such accursed as the Kinslayer. You're not supposed to kill your family. Um, he's okay with that. Courtney Penrose is obviously a uh, another case. I think he deserved to die. Uh, he was being a little I bit like of a contrarian. That, but okay. I mean, the jig was up at that point. Yeah, I, don't I know mean, what he, it, ha- he has to die for the plot to move forward. Yeah, but I think, yeah. It, it's interesting also when he says, like, I mean to find out about her powers. He doesn't actually know whether or not it's bullshit. Because it's not like with Davos who saw her give birth to the shadow baby. And so he knows that this is, that th- there's something to this. Um He's not sure of the scope of her power, but still is just at a point where he's like, I'm going to use whatever I need, whatever I, what can help me claim my rights. And if it's sor- if it's this sorcery that I'm not even sure how powerful it is, why not? Which is a huge gamble to take. And, and as I said before, repeatedly, and to incorporate that then when you're not even sure if it works into your whole political doctrine, that's a lot of big gamble to take. So... Yeah. And it's I mean, we we have well, I think that's also the the notion of sort of how far Melisandre's powers could uh even take him. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, what does he expect the powers to, to do? What does he expect her to do for him, really? Well, not to mention just like I mean, the the greatest information and sort of our 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 point of view characters can see these things happening before their eyes, but how that extends beyond uh, basically the rest of the realm is, is consistently an open question as you know, nothing's more apparent than uh, the presence of the white walkers up in the North who nobody else cares about. And if they're told about it, well, are they even supposed to care when it comes to Mel? She can kill people with a shadow baby, but that's um, never really portrayed as a, uh, I guess the the notion of her not going with them to the Blackwater because people think that it was because of her. Well, if that were true, wouldn't wouldn't more people have uh, submitted to Stannis in the first place? You got all the Tyrell army is uh, siding with the Lannisters uh, because the two of them had a had a little fight uh, when they were uh, all the way back in Robert's Rebellion. But. Whether the realm uh, would care that Melisandre is this powerful sorceress is something that I don't think we ever really get to the bottom of. We don't. I think, well, we see, like, kind of our point of view for it is, like, in when Catelyn, she basically is, like, when they had that big meeting, and Catelyn's, like, 
oh, there's a woman all in red, a red priestess. There's not even really much of a reaction, really. Just, oh, that's a thing, you know? Um, and she sees, yeah. uh, she sees Renly get killed. Yeah, and, oh, well, that's late. Yeah, that's later. But at first, just, like, the fact yeah. that he has this priest, it's like, okay, I guess he's doing that. But there's really not much reaction. And then Cersei mentions her in um, a story in Feast for Crows. I don't remember what it's related to, but she mentions something about, oh, this is the work of Stannis' Red Witch. Um, but... But yeah, people like people know about her and they're scared of people. Catelyn, I said like Catelyn doesn't seem that afraid. Like, I think yeah, people they want to see the gold and the manpower more than they want to see than the patent. Like because I mean, she obviously does have immense power and she does kill Renly, which is which hugely shifts the shape of everything to come. Um, but most people don't know that anyway. So, yeah, so I'm wondering what kind of Stannis really expects her to do for him, because it's also ambiguous. Um, it's left ambiguous whether or not he technically knows that about the manner and everything of Renly's death. I mean, we can, I'm sure we each have our own theories, so I know what you think. But um, Well, she also um, initially, uh, in A Clash of Kings, denies it to Davos. Yeah. Which, yeah, um, I mean... If I were Stannis, I'd probably have kind of a, a complex about uh, the idea that the only way you had to beat your you, the only way you could beat your little brother was to have your uh, red priestess kill him with a shadow baby, and that that itself is a very messed up, uh, sexualized process. That um, you know, you imagine it's not the most sanitary thing to be doing on a boat with uh, with Davos right under Storm's End. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe have a doctor in there to make sure that there's no infection or something. It's, it's. I mean, it's there's not a lot of like sanitary sex in Westeros in most places. No, and it's always interesting the um the way that they 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 sexualize uh males so much. Not that the book doesn't. The book does. It's it's perhaps maybe uh well we see that in the prologue. It's so um, subtle though. It's I mean it's about our full body, but it's don't even get and me then started. even um. You know, it's subtle also in A Dance of Dragons because you've got, um, well, the wildlings are afraid of her and the uh, Night's Watch, I mean, they're not used to seeing women at all, period. So that's... Um, yeah. Like, everyone talks about how beautiful she is, but it's always tempered by fear. It's always tempered by, as I said earlier, the sense of the uncanny. There's like John says, she's beautiful, but there's just something unnatural about red eyes. You know, whereas on the show, it just booms. But, um, but yeah, like, yeah. Well, the show also, um, they use her sexuality often to essentially advance the causes of the male characters. Don't I think get me started. Like, Ooh, don't get me started. Well, I mean, do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's what bothers, that's what pisses me off. So it's interesting because when I first watched the show, she was automatically my favorite from the beginning, actually because of the things I hate now in part. I loved seeing this like kind of sexually forward witchy woman because I relate to that's kind of me. Because she um, was in the Wuthering Heights video. Yeah, yeah, she was in that uh, essential more sensual world video. <laughs> in the sensual world video by Kate Bush, there's this she's wearing a red dress and dancing in fire. I think George saw that one and was like, aha. Uh-huh. But anyways, um, so I really loved that she, her kind of unapologetic sexuality. But then. You know, I kind of one of the first things I talk to you about differences between show and book when I talk to show only is I say, like, Melisandre doesn't even have any sex scenes in the books. Like, she's not sexualized. Like, as I said, it's this 
like she's beautiful. She's red and terrible and red. She, many called her beautiful, but she was not beautiful. She was red and terrible and red. You know, it's always there's always this undercurrent of there's something wrong, like wrong about her beauty or something. Like there's just something off about it, which is as we know because she's actually really old. But um, but yeah, I but yeah, it's it's. I think it's really disgusting that they essentially use her sexuality and her period as a way to further the men's plots. Um, I, as someone who loves this character really deeply, it just, it hurts my heart that D and D just saw her, that they take this really incredible character and are like, let's add, let's make all like these powerful moments, like her summoning instead of her summoning ghost. And that's what shows John how powerful she is. Um, we're just going to have her ask if she's a, if he's a virgin and like, try to take her and try to like have sex with him instead of the more subtle, like, can I touch your da 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 wolf? Um, but yeah, it's just really, I mean, as a woman, as yeah, as it really upsets me. Um, that's my, especially, I mean, swapping out Gendry for Edric storm is a decision that for the show made sense. You didn't, they didn't need but they didn't need to have sex. I mean, as much as I actually like that scene. Um, but I, mean, I don't like it. I, I think up until it gets non-consensual, I think it's like the hottest sex scene they've had on the show. But it's not. But it's it, but it also is like contributes to what, like the treating her as like just a, like boobs to further men. Like, like in terms of her further, like once she resurrects John, she's like basically barely appears like for a few more episodes ever, you know, it's like, so she did what she's needed for. She serves her purpose. And that's all, that's all she's important for in terms of how she serves the men. You know, I really hate that about, but in the books, yeah, she's, um, we just, she's just so much more than that. And so that's why I'm always telling people, read the books, read the books. She's so much. more. And what's interesting is that when I meet show onlys, they always hate her, but people who read the books always tend to really like her and find her interesting. I've always found her fascinating. And Davos... Davos might be my favorite character in, in both the book and the show, because mm. he's just... I love Liam, Liam Cunningham. I love... Um, Davos is uh, really the best thing that Stannis has going for him. Maybe Shireen. Or Shireen. Uh, book Shireen, not as... Book Shireen is much less of, like, a presence, you know? Like, and I think that's actually one of the things that I'll give Tits and Dragon show, is, like, the Shireen-Davos relationship, I think, was a really good decision um in terms of like like really deepening well, yeah, um, characters the book doesn't really davos doesn't spend that much time learning to read i think it's basically two chapters yeah i would that's something i was so i was rereading the chapters this past weekend i i was i'm like he learned to read in, in a chapter basically i'm like that's amazing he's like a prodigy of some sort is really fast but um but yeah and, um, it's just yeah, it's really fast, but I think, but yeah, I agree. I think that Davos is the best thing he has and he knows it. Otherwise he wouldn't have, he would have just had him killed if Solis wanted him or if Melisandre wanted him, but he doesn't. He instead names him hand of the King and what's such a moving scene. I think such one of my favorite scenes. Um, yeah. but, but that, and that's why I wonder like, why does he just send him away to treat with Wyman Manderley? after you know after you know instead of going with him to the wall if he's so trusted you know i don't 
he needs him to uh I think Davos is really fundamentally at the end of the day the only one he can trust. I, I yeah. think he knows that he has to trust Mel in a lot of cases because um there's really no alternative, but when it comes to Davos, uh Mel can't go and convince these people. I mean, the show thinks that she could. She's uh, fooling around uh, on the mainland in the Riverlands for a bit, but uh, <laughs> that's a very well. That's just to get Gendry, but it's but she's not really there to like convince them about Stannis. Like they still like even even on the show, they have that scene where they're at the Iron Bank, and it's really Davos vouching for him. That's what makes the Iron Bank be like, okay, sure. But yeah, you're right. Like he, I mean, because as we were saying, he's the everyman. He's the person you can relate to. Um, and he knows it, uh, he has that asset. And I think that like any good ruler, I personally, if a good ruler needs to understand the people, and this is why like Cersei is such a failure as a, I mean, there's many reasons she's a failure as a ruler, but because she can't even see past her own reflection, um, much less the needs of the people. So, um, and, and like none of most, and in terms like even reading fire and blood, you know, like the monarchs that were kind of the most cognizant of the needs of the people are the ones that are the, best one or most liked ones so davos with davos stannis has that and i personally think davos would be a better king than stannis sorry stannis stan but anyways um yeah i, I think agree. that yeah like i yeah like i actually was really i was yeah i feel like he should have been hand, when Tyrion in the tits and dragon show finale he's like name davos hand the king not me i'm like uh please Obviously. do like this is Obviously. someone who needs who knows i think stannis even if they don't really expl- say this explicitly in the books, I think that he knows that he needs to understand what the people need in order to be a ruler. Um, that ruling isn't just, I think it's for his, I mean, he says like in a way his approach to ruling is very much rule, like governed by the fact that it's his right. He, he says in A Storm of Swords, I never asked for this crown. Gold is cold and heavy on the head, but so long as I am the king, I have a duty. If I'm to sacrifice one child to the flames, save a million from the dark. Sacrifice is never easy, Davos, or it is no true sacrifice. He, he doesn't want to be king. It, theoretically, he doesn't want to be king, but he feels it's his duty. So, like, it's, it's not like, oh, I need to... So, but he's like, as long, insofar as I have this duty, I might as well incorporate the needs of the people into that even if he's not directly saying so that is what he's doing by having davos keeping davos close um which i think is would make him a better ruler than people would give him credit for um in my opinion um as opposed to just having melisandre i think people like they only i mean at the wall they only see melisandre because davos isn't there but um but yeah i think it's really well, yeah, he's got John kind of acting sort of as the Davos style. Uh, okay, here's what you think you should do. Here right. is the alternative. And I'm glad you brought John up because there's so. I mean, there's a lot of parallels that plenty of people talk about between John and Stannis. But there's also a digression I find really interesting that if in, since this is a podcast about Stannis, to talk about his, his character and his motivations and arc is these are two characters who are parallel in a sense that they keep on their quote unquote given power that they quote unquote don't want, but it's like, to what extent are they actually given it? And what's the extent and what, to what extent do they not want it? So for example, with Stannis, he's saying like, well, because my brother was the King, 
and he's died, he's dead. I, that means that I'm given this power and it is on, I am, he says, I am the king and I didn't choose yeah, Juan, it. Juan has nothing to do with it. Right. Like it has nothing to do with want. And with John, yeah. it's more like, you know, Mormon chooses him to be his steward without him. You know, it's not even anything conscious. You know, Sam makes up this whole plot to get him as Lord Commander, even though he's like 16. Speaking, uh, speaking of Mormons, mm-hmm. we need to take our obligatory. Oh, I, I hate, hate Sergora. If anybody <laughs> thought I was going to get through the episode without saying it. We even do this on episodes that aren't about Game of Thrones. I'll say, you oh, how I, do you feel about Sergora? And they're like, uh, hate him. I just reread the Daenerys. I just reread the Daenerys chapter when he kisses her. And so I'm in a pretty I hate Jorah mood too because in the one after that she's like she's pretty traumatized. She keeps on like saying how she's like can't stop thinking about it and really feels uncomfortable around him. Like oh my goodness, oh. But anyway, yeah. But uh, so anyways, Jorah. Even though I don't hate show Jorah, but that's because they aged her up, so it's not gross. But anyways, and they made him hot. So, but um, what was I saying? Oh right. So it's interesting how yeah. So John keeps on kind of having this power given like. In a way, his power is more given, like handed to him than stand. Like his power is actually handed to him in ways that are more democratic, in a sense, and like people actually want him to have this power. But you know, I I don't want it, as he says. I don't I don't want it. Uh, so he, whereas Stannis, when he's given power, he's like, I'm going to make it my mission to take claim what's mine by rights. So shows a lot of difference between the two. As much as people talk about how similar they are, there's this huge difference where John and Stannis's position. Maybe I mean I don't know if you can imagine him being in Stannis' position because he's a bastard. But like when Stan, I mean when Stannis offers to legitimize him, and he thinks that being John's because he is, as far as he knows, the last living Stark and the heir to Winterfell. Technically, then he he does want it. He does want it, and he's really, really close to accepting it until he doesn't. But with there's, but with Stannis, there's no hesitation. It's I don't want it, but there's no hesitation to accept it or to even not even accept it, but just in in it's just it's a part of his consciousness. Yes, I'm king. That's just what I am. With John, there's no there there's no struggle. I mean, there is that struggle of I don't want this. But there's 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 no struggle of whether or not it, it he deserves it. With John, it's always a question of serving. And like, what I really like about it is a dance with dragon chapters is how filled with self doubt they are. And about, I, I just very relatable about like imposter syndrome. I mean, which isn't in his case, he isn't like the best Lord commander. So it's not fully imposter syndrome. But, um, but yeah, but I think they provide this interesting narrative, these interesting contrasting narratives about power and being given, like, I think for these two, I mean, this isn't as present in the world's Westeros, but like in terms of racial identity, but like these two cis straight, well, they're not, I don't think either of them are straight, but these two cis white men, um, who are like just handed power and how do they each approach that differently? Because that's something that just happens in the world a lot. Men get handed power. Look at Bran. So, ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting to think about. And when you brought up the legitimization, um, I thought about uh, going back to Dragonstone with Edric Storm, who really has one of the more heartbreaking moments during The Great Escape, where Davos and Roland Storm, who hasn't been mentioned yet, but's awesome, and I love him, and he got a mention in uh, 
the Stennis at the uh, in the North episode, but uh, Edric Storm is totally oblivious to the idea that Stannis wants to literally burn burn his nephew. Yeah, <laughs> it makes yeah. me wonder. Sort of uh, the idea never crosses his mind, but it does later in the book. What if Stannis had said, "Okay, I don't have any sons. My uh, daughter is a bit sickly, Portrine." What if I? Uh, he never considers legitimizing uh, an adopt. I Westeros doesn't really have adoption. Yeah, unless you're Davos. But um, no, he. I mean, because that's not his son, and I think that goes in line. That's very much in line with his thinking. As we were saying, even though he's not rigid in the sense of not of accepting Davos into his realm, um, he's not going to let someone. Not just it's not only that he's not his son. He's, I think it's more that he's Robert's bastard because yeah, yeah. he hates everything that Robert represents, which I hate Robert. So that's fair. But um, although I really I'm going to put I want to put out there that I'm very against Stannis's um, political strat, like one of his political proposals, which is to shut down all brothels. Like, what are the sex workers going to do otherwise? Yeah. That's the source of their story. Anyways, it's very. So in terms of talking about Stannis and feminism, it's actually that's very he's being like very. Um, one, like one of those, like uh, being an abolitionist about sex work is not very feminist no, to me. Definitely not. But um, at all, and um, but it's but it's really but it's not even about sex workers. It's about that it's Robert, and he wants to eradicate anything that reminds him of Robert because he hates Robert so much. Um, and I and that's Ed, Edric Storm's part of that. He's not going to legitimatize um Robert's bastard when that represents for him, like Robert represents everything he hates. Yeah. Um, and especially when it's over his own daughter's claim, even though he's a da- like in terms of his being less rigid, you know what? I only have a daughter. That's okay. I'm gonna. But yeah, that's uh, that's where the uh, winter uh, he tells Justin Masty to go back with um, the Tygo mm-hmm. uh, Tygo from uh, Bravos. But um, it, it's just interesting. Uh, I've always I've always found it uh, interesting. The one thing that Eddard and Stannis have in common is that they're people who at one point had a lot of family who by the by the present in the series uh are left really without a lot of relatives. and and well at Ned has his kids but um his father's dead his parents are dead his sister's dead his brother's dead his other brothers at the wall and Stannis um you know, his parents are dead. He kills his brother and his other brother is dead. And he wasn't really friendly with any of them. And I guess what attracts him to Davos and I guess really what, what sets up the, the, the dynamic uh, that led us to do this episode is there's a little, um, they kind of feel like a family themselves in a little sort of cute. Chosen cute, family. Cute way. Yeah. It, um, yeah. These chapters are a lot of fun. We don't get a lot uh, of time in Dragonstone. There's the uh, there's the prologue, the three uh, Davos chapters, which I think only one of them's even at Dragonstone. The other two are at Storm's End. And you've got, although I think the show took them back to Dragonstone before they attacked, uh, before they attacked, and that's probably just to use that set again. Uh, but. And then in a storm of swords, you get uh, he's not in there for the first, and then you get a couple there. But it's this it's this area that really sets up 
you know, I, I was referred to as a, as a Stan or Stan, uh, a Stan or Stan, uh, earlier. And I, I've certainly have been at various points in my life. Um, and it's still kind of true, but what really drove me to the character originally were, were the dance of dragon, uh, chapters in, um, my first read, right. I really started to understand why people liked this guy, that he is sort of fluid. He's willing to change. He's seen as rigid. And he has to live his life knowing that he's seen as rigid. But he's, mm-hmm. he's eager for change. And these, these Dragonstone chapters are, are really kind of the formative uh, elements of that, where he, every step he's got to make knowing that it could be his last, that uh, things shit could hit the fan. He doesn't really have much of a cushion. He's got to uh, play him carefully, and he's got to listen to people who wouldn't be taken seriously by... Uh, uh, a lot of the world, you know, he doesn't, um, he doesn't, as, uh, as our president once vowed to, he can't really hire the best people. He's <laughs> got to deal with what he's got. Um, and I think his re- Yeah, but they actually might be the best people. They might be. Yeah. It's the ragtag, uh, ragtag group that, um, really they're endearing. They're a lot of fun to talk about. They are. And like, that's why I love them so much. There's like this group of misfits, like beneath, like all of, like with Melisandre beneath all that intimidating exterior, she's just awkward. Like I always, as I said, I picture if any of you have seen the movie Phantom Thread, well, A, he is Reynolds Woodcock from Phantom Thread, exact same person. But I always picture there's a scene early in the movie where Alma and Reynolds, the main male and female character are um, like sit, it's their first date and they're sitting in front of this fire, just like staring at each other in silence. And it's super awkward. And she's wearing a red dress too. That's how I picture Stannis and Melisandre spending time together. They're both deeply awkward people. Like, she's not someone who, like, I mean, I love her. I relate to her. But she's kind of not, she she probably wouldn't be that much, like, fun to hang out with. You know? Like, I mean, she's fun in a way, like, she sings and burns shit. But, like, she's not, you know, she's very dogmatic and uh, and rigid. And she's really the rigid. She's the most rigid one of, of all of them. So, um... And then he's this misfit, you know, like he's, I'm, I relate to him. I'm very much the Stannis of my, my sister is kind of the Renly and I'm kind of the Stannis, even though I'm the gay one, she's kind of the Renly and I'm the Stannis. Um, and then Davos is this, is the commoner. So, so they're all these kind of misfits who don't really fit in. And that's why I'm a team Dragonstone stan. Like, I just love that they kind of represent these outsider perspectives and don't really fit in anywhere but have this really good and but at their narrative like you were saying it was really the dance chapters that compelled you i really love the um i'm the clash of king and storm of swords chapters i'm i really love i'm a clash of kings fan girl but i think they just as i said they bring up so many because as you're saying shit's hitting the fan at any moment there's no stability we don't know what the claim if if renly's who's going to attack who's going to be king there's five people warring to be king that he just, it's like desperate times call for desperate measures and the ethical issues that that then inherently brings up, I think for anyone politically in desperate measures is always really fascinating. And that's what you see coming up here. And it brings up about human nature. You know, is a man good or is he evil? Is there, is the onion rotten if there's any black in it? Or is, can, can you eat a semi rotten onion, you know, or is, can you compare a human to an onion? Um, brings up all these really fascinating moral questions that I love that, that that are just so complex. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating and 
I, I really, I, I wish we could know what happened to uh, Lord Durambar Emin because we don't. Uh, he could have been part of the squad for the Dragonstone, and uh, dude just kind of disappears after Davos won. It's, uh, mm. it's an open mystery. Uh, I, I was unable to figure out what uh, happened to him. I don't think. I think maybe George uh, forgot. He's got a lot of characters to deal with. Um, it, mm-hmm. yeah, nobody. Uh, Apparently, his forces were spotted at the wall, but he doesn't appear again. The Florence are losers. Uh, a lot of Stannis' troops die. The Battle of Blackwater is a brutal, uh, brutal battle. But we get these, um, you know, the way Stannis is set up is it's sad. He He's a, heart- a heartbroken, joyless curmudgeon who really had his heart broken again when he had Proud Wing, his... Uh, Poor Falcon, who uh, he couldn't raise back to health. He's this broken, damaged guy who wants somebody to love. And he gets that in Davos and Mel in a lot of ways. It would be nice if we could learn what um, what Stannis and Davos, not what Stannis and Mel talked about on all of their long walk. Because I imagine it's a side of him that uh, if people talked about more, we could uh, maybe people would have a different opinion on uh, everyone's favorite yeah. one true king yeah i mean i kind of i see him in davos as like burton ernie yeah. <laughs> honestly yeah, like because they're so burton ernie like he that's like, when he talked about him being the curmudgeon no he's got they're so burton ernie i don't know what that means i mean i don't know what that means all yeah i mean as i said i think on their long walks their long goth walks they just are like it's just silent and like you know they listen to and there's like cocktail twins in the background, but, um, but which she played because he would never listen to a woman artist on his own, of course. Um, but, but yeah, I think that like, just as Bert, like Bert or Bert needs Ernie to kind of temper that like Stannis needs Davos. Yeah. And their harmonious partnership. That isn't romantic it might at all. Be. I mean, I view the whole Stavos thing as more one-sided than a lot of people do. I think it's really Davos being very in love with Stannis, and Stannis like just views Davos as like this really trusted advisor and friend. But he could go. I'm I don't, I'm not opposed to it being read as mutual at all. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, um, it's been a lot of fun talking about. It's always fun to talk about Stannis, but uh, this really is. Yes, you know, is. as somebody who started to fall in love with him later, it's always uh, fun to go back because you get to. It's like the first Mighty Ducks movie where there's uh, all those where like uh, D- Danny Tamborelli and all those characters are in it who don't appear in this, the second or the third, and uh, that's kind of how I feel about uh, Lord Keltigar and uh, 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 Mumford and Sons uh, Valerian and those kind of people. Yes. Uh, it's fun to kind of revisit it because you get this uh whole different side and i just like i i imagine george probably uh figured out a lot of um stannis as he went along because he's he's hyped up a bit in uh a game of thrones we don't see him and then right uh he grows a lot he grows over the course of the series maybe more so than uh most of the characters if not all and it's interesting because then in the Winds of Winter chapter where we do see him, the Theon chapter is released, he actually, it, because we're seeing him through Theon, he does seem more Stannis-y than ever in a way. Like, 
he seems way more like rigid and hard. Like even when he learns that Davos has apparently died, he doesn't really have much of a reaction, which always upsets me. I'm like, no, you need to be more upset. But, um, so maybe, but I think maybe it seems like he's going backwards or whatever, because we're seeing through the eyes of someone who he might kill. Um, yeah. which is fair, but yeah, no, I, it, it was a pleasure to talk about team Dragonstone. Cause not enough. I think, yeah, not enough people do. Like, I mean, Daenerys and John, they're they're you know, they're interesting characters and all that. But like, I'm all about Team Dragonstone. Yeah, I. Uh, they're always a lot of fun, and I, I've never been much. Of, they're my mystic. Yeah, I've never been much of a Stark person. I do love my Cersei. I. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of the people that uh, I. I hate Sir Jorah like the plague. Ian Glenn, we love him, but. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I just wish he was dead. I love the, the only the only characters outside of Dragonstone that I like truly truly love would probably be like Cersei and Strong Bellwas. So it's always fun. To- mm, Strong Bellwas, I love. Um, yeah, I yeah I I mean I love. Mo- I'm actually kind of the opposite. I feel like I love mo- a lot of the characters. I really like so many. I really like the majority of them. Just even even if they're not likable characters, I even I love. I think Bruce Bolton is a fascinating yeah. character. Um, you know, like I, I think that they're great. So there's more characters that I like than dislike, actually. Um, but Robert and Renly, fuck you. Um, well, <laughs> hate them. I, I support one Baratheon brother, and that is the one true king, Stannis. For sure. Well, we will have our Renly episode eventually. I, I, I have no idea when. And uh, with uh, <laughs> with vacation and my surgery coming up, um, schedule is uh. Is what it is, but uh, Rowan, uh, you want to tell us where we can uh, find you? I'll link to your Twitter, anything? Sure, yeah. Uh, my Twitter is, it's uh, at girl underscore hag, because like Melisandre, I'm also like old as fuck woman still, uh, inside the body. I mean, ostensibly, no, I don't, I still have the other one, but I don't need to put no, 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 it Oh, I shouldn't use that I was going to say, do you, uh, do you still put the ass in a shy? Oh, I always put the ass <laughs> in a shy. That's what I do. I mean, that's, that's my... I wake up in the morning, put my swag on, put the ass in it. Cause I'll put the bed, put my swag on, put the ass in a shy. That's just like how I live my life. I mean, yeah. But like that, that goes without saying I put the ass in, that should be my, that's my username, the ass in a shy. But yeah, like Melisandre, I put the ass in a shy and, uh, I'm an old woman in the body of an ostensibly young redhead, but like, don't trust what you see. So yeah. So if you want more, Team Dragonstone takes, you can usually find them at girl ha- underscore hag because I love them and they don't get enough love. They, they don't. Um, it's been, uh, they don't. It's been a lot of fun. I, uh, glad that we, uh, I, I'd meant to bring that up in the, the beginning, the ass and a shy, and I'm glad that, uh, it, it <laughs> works its way in now. And, um, I'm sure, you know, uh, for bump and grind it its way in. <laughs> for all of our listeners, uh, I'm sure uh, we will be back. I've committed to doing uh, 10, 10 Stannis episodes. This is number two of 10. Not 100% sure what all 10 of them are, but uh, it will happen. We love our Stannis. We love our Davos. We love our Mel, and we love Team Dragonstone. And uh, for everybody listening, uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>